0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading uh, we finished at verse 9, so we'll begin at verse 10 tonight. Paul says, I rejoiced, in the, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, Again, one of the things in Paul's relationship with his church that was very, very precious to him was their practical support. It meant so much to him. It was able to release him because Paul was an itinerant evangelist. And uh, he was able to go all into Asia Minor. He traveled far and wide. And obviously, any support he got enabled him to keep preaching the gospel. And uh, this church at Philippi, which he founded, uh, was a church that was very, very supportive of him. And he did really deeply appreciate that. And he said here, he says, I'm rejoicing because your care has flourished again. Uh, he said that th- th- there was, there was a-, a time when you lacked opportunity. Why was that? Well, simply by the nature of what he did. Uh, communications and transportation in those days are not like they are today. If you wanted to go anywhere, you had to walk, take a donkey, or get on a boat. Uh, There was no instant communications. So the chances were that when he was on his missionary journeys, uh, that for a while, other than those who were with him, nobody knew where he was. And so there was times whenever they wanted to send practical support, but they just didn't know where he was at that time. Later on, they found out. Of course, they know where he is now. They know he's under house arrest in Rome. But... At points, they just didn't know where he was. And so, even though they wanted to help, they just couldn't do it. The the opportunity wasn't there for them. That's simply what he's saying. Then he says, "'Not that I speak in regard to need, "'for I have learned in whatever state I am "'to be content.'" Whatever state I am regarding physical needs, he says, "'I'm content.'" Paul's contentment didn't lie in anything that was exterior. Paul's contentment lay in who he knew he was in Christ. That, for Paul, settled all issues. He was at peace with himself. He was at peace in all circumstances. Good days, bad days, up days, down days, end days, out days. He kept that level of contentment because he wasn't counting on things. If he had them, fine. If he didn't have them, equally fine. He goes on to say, "'I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I've been through it all,' he says. "'I've covered all the bases.'" I've had times when I had plenty, and there was times when I had nothing. There times when I was full. There was times when I was empty. In other passages in the Scriptures, he says, there was times I fasted. There was times I simply hungered. Fasting is when you deliberately go without food, but he says, there's times I had no choice. I didn't have any, and I hungered. But he says, I have learned above all things to be content with whatever state I find myself. That's a tremendous attitude, isn't it? How many of us could honestly say that? We honestly can be happy and contented when everything's going well, when we're not running short. But as soon as we start to run short, as soon as things start to go pear-shaped, are we still content? Mostly we're not. Sure we're not. We worry, we fret, we get afraid, we panic. And Paul says, No, I'm content with whatever happens because my contentment is not based on things, even though they're necessary, and even though I may be hurting without them, but that's not my contentment level. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a statement. What kind of things does he mean? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we, we, we have a tendency when we read that, and we've all done it. I've done it. We've all done it. We have a tendency to look at that positively and say, you know, uh, I'm going for this new job, and, and I've never done anything like this before, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. you ever done that? Uh, or I'm facing this difficulty, and it's a bit, you know, it's going to be tough, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And to, to some degree that's true, but that's not really exactly what he's meaning here. When you see what he went through, <laughs> then he says, I went through all of this, but I was able to do it through Christ who strengthens me. Second Corinthians chapter 11 second corinthians chapter eleven <coughs> excuse me in verse let me just break into this in verse twenty three he says, "'In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and the night i have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. You could put at the end of that but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where his strength lay, and that's where his contentment was in, the fact that he was in Christ. Again, over and over again, I think there's sometimes, uh, like nine times in this little letter, he talks about in the Lord, I rejoiced in the Lord. So, the fact that he knew he was in Christ, he was in the Lord, that gave him great strength and fortitude to go through everything that he faced. And boy, he faced a lot of stuff, didn't he? And then he says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, 10 years ago, when I started out with you as a church, when I founded the church, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, which was only less than 100 miles away, he says, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. In fact, if you read First and Second Thessalonians, you'll see that Paul had to work and labor and make tents to keep up his own support and it wasn't for the fact that these philippians were sending him twice that encouraged him that kept him going no one shared with me concerning giving and receiving except you only no wonder he loved this church because he knew that they loved him and they knew that he knew that they were supportive at every opportunity you say, well, that's very well and good. But wait a minute. Do you know the state they were in when they did this? Huh. So you've got to see the context of all of this. This is why, not just that they gave him because he had need, but out of their need, out of their distress, out of their great poverty, they gave to him again and again. That's what impressed him. That's what brought him great great joy uh, uh, when he thought of this church. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Beg your pardon. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. One of the things that Paul did in his missionary journeys, uh, he was always conscious of the church at Jerusalem Uh, who were really struggling and really suffering financially. Uh, Times were difficult. You see, most Christians in those days, if they had a job, many of their jobs, they they would be involved in what was called guilds. Uh, Guilds would be, there would be, say, a silversmith guild, a goldsmith guild, a leather leather worker guild, or a a woodworker guild. There's lots of guilds. And you really had to be in a guild to be able to keep your business going. And if you're out of a guild, then you were in trouble uh, to buy and to sell and and to keep your business going. And if you're a Christian, at this particular time, it was difficult because often they put you out of the guilds, and that made life very, very difficult to trade or to do any kind of business. And so things was really, really tough. So Paul, on his journeys, was conscious of these things, and wherever he could... And whenever he could, he would encourage the churches he raised up or he went to to visit, he would encourage them to take up an offering to send back to Jerusalem, to the saints at Jerusalem. That was his heart. That was his passion to do that. And the church at Corinth, he encouraged them to do it. And they he says, wonderful, we'll do it. We'll get involved. Great idea. We'll raise an offering, and it can be given to the church at Jerusalem. Wonderful, we'll do this. Remember, this is a Gentile church given to what was basically a Jewish church in Jerusalem. So it was wonderful. They were up for it. They were all for it. The trouble was, a year passed, and they still hadn't done it. Not one penny had gone to Jerusalem from Corinth. And Paul was getting a wee bit, we say, head up about it. He really getting annoyed about this, and he, he, he dealt with it. So in this letter he writes about this offering that you had promised but you haven't done yet. And in order to provoke them or even inspire them, he talks about the churches in Macedonia, which Philippi, he's talking about the church of Philippi. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you by the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy And their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now do you see the context that they're giving to support Paul and the church at Jerusalem? Not because they were a big rich church, they weren't. They were really struggling. They were in poverty themselves, but they were willing to give again and again. Look what it says. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. The Corinthian church was long on gifts, but they were mighty short on graces. And Paul says, you're a great church. You're a powerful church. You're great in speech. You're great in diligence. You're great in all these things. But he said, there's a grace that you're missing here, the grace of giving. And Paul calls it a grace. Not a works, not a chore, not a bore. A grace, something that's done graciously, willingly, wanting to do it. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. (laughs) I'm provoking you a little bit here. I'm talking about these churches in Macedonia so that you get the idea. So he's jabbing them with this. So he said, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That through, your, through his poverty you might become rich. And so he takes it up to another level, the highest level of giving. The grace of giving at its highest level was the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago... But now you also must complete the doing of it. And as there was a readiness of de- to desire to do it, so there also may be a completion of what you, out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and their abundance may also supply your lack. You're okay at this time, so give to them who's got little, because someday you may have little, and you'll be hoping somebody's gonna give back to you. That's what he's saying. That there may be equality. As it's written, he has gathered much, has nothing left over, who has gathered little had no lack. But thanks be unto God, who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. I wish he had told us who this brother was, but he didn't. But he must have been a good man. And not only that, but who also was chosen by the church is to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show you a ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is ministered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So in other words... A large offering was to be collected, to be taken to Jerusalem, and he made sure that Titus and one other brother of reputable uh, of reputation that he would go with him to make sure that nothing could be said, that no finger could be poked. <laughs> in our direction, that something wrong had gone wrong. I remember, uh, what, four years ago now, four or five years ago, remember when the Billy Graham organization came here, Franklin Graham, and they did the big crusade down in, uh, down there in the Odyssey. Remember that? How long was that ago? Four years, something like that. Well, I was involved in the background of all of that, different committee levels, and what they kept saying to us is, because it kept being raised about the money, because it cost something like £100,000 to do that, you know. And uh, he says, well, let me tell you this. This is his representative. He says, whenever we finish this crusade, he says, before we leave this city, he says, we will put in your national newspaper exactly what this crusade cost and how it was spent and all the rest of it. So nobody can come to you after and say, see those Americans, see those big evangelists? They come in and rip you off and go out. He says, nobody will be able to say that about us. He says, it'll be in And it was, they put it in the newsletter and they put it in the telegraph. Apostle Paul said the same thing here. He says, this is a big offering. And he says, I want to make sure that nobody can point a finger here. So we're taking care of that. And we have sent with them our brother, whom whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are our messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them, and before the churches, the proof of your love and are boasting on your behalf. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous, it's unnecessary, really, for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that acacia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So I've told the churches in Macedonia, told the Philippians, that you're zealous to do this, but that was a year ago, so go on with it. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. <laughs> and then he answers this. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So Paul, <laughs> in a diplomatic and sometimes undiplomatic way, he said, "Tell him, hey." Get your act together. You made this vow. Now it's time to do it. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for, for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry they may glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. And then he adds, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. People say preachers talk too much about money, and maybe some do. Somebody said, I heard a preacher preaching on the sermon on the amount. <laughs> but Paul took two chapters to talk about one offering. That's how important it was in the kingdom of God as far as he was concerned. So, but then he adds in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. In other words, I'm not saying all this, Philippians, so that you'll give me more. He says, that's not my motive. He says, I really, truly want you to be blessed. And I know that you will be blessed. I know this fruit will abound to your account. God will mark it, it'll be in your account. Isn't it nice to know that God's got accounts and He marks it. And He marks us for blessing. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Sweet smelling aroma. An acceptable sacrifice, well. Pleasing to God. What a lovely term. What he's saying to them here, listen, your sacrifice, your effort, what you have done not only blesses me, but it's like a it's like an offering that wafts up to the throne of heaven, where God <sighs> that's a sweet smelling aroma unto God because he he understands and he knows the depths of the sacrifice that has been made, listen to what Paul says this one little verse, two verses in ephesians five one and two you don 't need to turn to it, therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering. And a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. He uses the same terms. He's thinking about the the tremendous sacrifice that Christ made for him and the tremendous sacrifice that Christ made to God. And he says it was a sweet smelling aroma. That's how beautiful this is. And then, lo and behold, he uses the same terminology to talk about their sacrifice, what they had done. So he knows the depths of their sacrifice. And he says, this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a sweet-smelling savor unto God. It's a wonderful aroma in God's nostrils. What a blessing that is. There's been times in your life when you have made Real sacrifice, whether it's that or something else. And maybe you did it and you never thought much about it, but God, God did. It was a sweet-smelling aroma to him because he knew your sacrifice. Jesus pointed out that little woman with the two mates. He knew it was her everything that she had, and that meant more to him than anything that anybody else gave because it was such a sacrifice. But then he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. Not just out of his riches, but according to his riches. And we've said it so often. A multi millionaire meets a beggar in the street and he gives him a pound coin. He's giving out of his riches, but he's not giving according to his riches. God gives us according, commensurate to his riches. And what are his riches? Inexhaustible. (laughs) He owns the whole universe. And it's inexhaustible. You know, I was watching during the week. I don't know if you've seen that or not. There's a bunch of guys in Alaska, and they were going broke, and they were out of business and out of jobs, and they were, their mortgages were going to be reclaimed, and they decided to go to Alaska. Uh, they didn't live somewhere else in America. They decided to go to Alaska. It was a gold rush or something they called it, to dig some gold. And, the, you know, the, and, and the heartache of doing that and fighting among each other and tempers are were getting frayed, and it was pressure, 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 all to get that precious metal. and God's streets are paved with it. (laughs) His riches is beyond anything we could ever begin to understand. Yes, I know there's great spiritual riches it's beyond any (laughs) practical riches. But Paul here is talking about both, isn't he? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, somehow or other God finds a way to meet the need Ah. then he says now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever amen and just when you think he's finished he isn't he just sends a final greeting greet every saint in Christ Jesus the brethren who are with me greet you All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Boy, he enjoyed that. He liked to put that in. That's one in the eye for the devil. That's what he's thinking. That's another nail in the devil's coffin there, right there. Saints in Caesar's household. Who would have thought it? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The inexhaustible grace. The unending supply of God's grace. Thank God for his grace tonight. Amen. Amen. So that little letter that only takes 10 minutes to read is packed with absolute fantastic gems of truth. And you can read over that 20 more times and you'll get 20 more things out of it that you missed the first time. And that's the wonderful thing about Scripture that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I tell you. Somebody somewhere will get up tomorrow morning and they'll read one of those verses and light up to them and they've read it a thousand times but didn't mean anything and suddenly it means something. It becomes a rhyme of word to them. And that's the wonderful thing. About the word of God. It's alive. It's sharper than any two edged sword. And it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So it's wonderful, isn't it? Love this book. Get into this book. Above all things, get to know this book. This book will save your life. And more so in the days that we're living in. We need to know this more and more. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this short letter written 2,000 years ago. And still it resonates in so many hearts today because it's eternal truth that we speak about. Lord, it's not just words on a page. It's eternal truth given to us by God Almighty Himself and energized by the Holy Spirit so that our eyes are opened. And Lord, we see what it actually means. So we give you thanks for it. Help us now, Lord, not just to hear it, but to become doers of it. Help us, Lord, to practice this. Lord, we read it, we say we know it, but Lord, help us to do it and see it working and become alive in our lives to the glory of God. And thank you for the testimony, Lord, that we've heard tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you're still moving and touching men and women's lives. We bless you for it, Lord. Do it again and again and again. Lord, for many more in here, Lord, who are needing a miracle. Lord, your arm is not short. And Lord, you hear the prayers and the cries of your people. So, Lord, bless and bless again in Jesus' name. Amen thank you for listening to this podcast you can also watch the sermon of the month video at youtube.com forward slash moira pentecostal or download the sermon video through our itunes video podcast for more information visit us at www.mpc.org.uk